Hey, Sam. Hey, Nathan. What's up? Hi. Hi. What's up? I'm holding in my hands the heaviest damn debit card I've ever held. It's green. Do you watch the uh, Fire Festival documentaries, the two of them that came out at the no. same time? I have not. In a coordinating marketing attempt that is now apparently being used to actually make a Fire Festival again? Snore. Yeah. Anyway, uh, one of the interesting aspects of those documentaries was the founder in some of his harebrained schemes before the fire festival. One of them was uh, literally having a membership in a debit card club where the the whole differentiation was just having a metal, really heavy payment card. Like when you slap okay. that thing on the table, or when somebody picks it up to scan, you know, your card, they they like notice. And pay attention. They know to it. that you're wealthy. I guess, but I guess the other aspect of you could have like this general club access to like a, a row home somewhere in New York City. Anyway, it, it went out of mm. business, but um, I'm noticing I really love. So I have this new um, debit card from Acorns, which is an app I, I would like to talk about for a second in case people aren't familiar. Yeah, let's, let's uh, talk about it. They started off as a simple app that would tie into a checking account and would essentially round up any purchase uh, and take the spare change from that rounding and put it into a dedicated investment account for short-term yeah. investments. Uh, you could easily, as, as the investor on Acorn, say, I want to invest aggressively or I want to invest conservatively. And it would automatically diversify your, your funds and your resources that way using your spare change. Then yep. the app evolved. Essentially to, mutual funds. Yeah. Uh, well, I have no idea exactly what funds they invest in because I don't think you get any Basically. option at all other than just saying more aggressive, no. less aggressive. I'm sure they outline exactly what they invest in for you. Yeah. Legally, they'd have to. But the, the point is that you don't have to think about it. And uh, they take some really small cut. It's, it's not bad at all. Uh, actually, and so anyway, mm-hmm. they've evolved to then creating dedicated like okay let's not just round up uh if you'd like let's just take five dollars every day every week every month whatever recurring input you want and we'll also invest that and, and yep. anyway great you, idea you be really careful with uh, apps like this and businesses like this because they tend to take money off the top you know they'll skim stuff without you realizing it and uh, acorns doesn't really seem to ever do that now they've evolved even more to actually providing a spend account which is an actual legit checking account with your uh, money and they they've arranged their website and the app to be very clear uh three distinct different sizes of money. One, long-term retirement. One, I think they call it core funds, which okay. are like your short-term savings. When I mean short-term, anything that's not retirement. So you can withdraw right. it and sell off your investments without any penalty. And then they have a spend account, which is uh, what's tied to the debit card. And the debit card is so cool because it's so heavy and weighted. But uh, I've been using Acorns for years now to just be able to save you know, a couple hundred bucks a week, honestly, uh, that eventually you, you check back months later and you're like, oh, I have $6,000. This is great. <laughs> it's sort of a, yeah. a set it and forget it account for me. But now that it's tied into an active card that I can spend with, I'm going to start budgeting and putting money in automatically and trying to restrict myself to only spending what's on my green card for personal expenses. And if I don't have enough in that account, 
I just won't make the purchase unless it's something essential and, and business related. And then I just use my regular okay. business checking account. But this is a nice metal heavy card and uh, Acorns in general is a, seems to be a really well-run company. So Now, I do see that you have a, a, a cool green metal card, but you know what? I've got a, I've got a cool blue metal card. Ah, Chase something? Yep, it's Chase Sapphire. And uh, I also really like the heft of it. You know the other th- cool thing about this one? Is that it's got little tiny little ridges in it um, so that when they swipe it, it goes zip. Oh, that's awesome. I like that mm-hmm. touch. Although now you don't swipe anything. You just put it in. Um, yeah, everything's got Acorns a chip now, has, finally. But. Yeah, Acorns is, Acorns is great. Um, I, we, we also, since, since they rolled out that feature of put in whatever money you want each week and we'll just automatically deduct it from your account. We've been doing that. And now we've got a little tiny extra savings account that's just kind of running in the background. And whenever it is that we inevitably need that money, we can just grab it. And, um, it's really, really cool to have that as just a completely separate way to save. And when you, I don't know. I mean, if you're if you're smart with your money, uh, which I don't think that I necessarily was up until maybe a few years ago, <laughs> and maybe arguably still, we yeah, it, it, you start realizing that you need to have like multiple different little savings accounts that um, can really help you out, especially when you start owning a house and things like that. There are some books and schools of thought that would actually say you need like. 15 different checking accounts. There's this one guy um, that tried to convince me to make 15 or 16 different checking accounts for all kinds of different things. And I was like, well, Mm. I'm not going to do that, but I can see where it would work for some, some minds and some, I think what that is, is that's a person who is trying to budget as lazily as possible uh, while still overcomplicating things. Yeah. (laughs) What I think he's probably saying is like, okay, use this checking account for this and this checking account for that. And it's like, dude, if you just budget and you put everything into categories, you'll be fine. Yeah, yeah. But I will say one of the things I'm I'm excited about with Acorns or uh, is is that this whole company has this whole bank now. I mean, it's essentially a bank. Yeah, it's a bank uh, has yeah. been built from the ground up with sort of these these incentives in mind versus legacy banks like Wachovia or bank of America that just, they are so set in their ways. And this is a problem with any, any real company and, and sort of what the basis of disruption of most companies is built on is that they're so set in their ways. There's, there's really no way for them to pivot and think of things properly. Same thing with, um, take for example, the company everyone likes to talk about for better or worse, Tesla. They are now a car company built from the complete ground up making electric cars. And one of the benefits of that is they can account in their business model and in their entire way of thinking for people to not necessarily purchase a new car from them every three to five years, the way a lot of, uh, I would say the majority of car manufacturers um, yeah, have gotten now. used to in their business, right? You buy your car and it stays that way. You maintain it and then it breaks or you get bored of it. You buy a new one. Tesla's built from day one with uh, over-the-air updates being possible and, and electric motors that are going to last much, 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 I'm talking like a million miles uh, longer right. <laughs> than right. a typical gas car. And they've accounted for all that in the way that they make their decisions in their business. And trying to have an established company like 
Ford or any any established uh, car maker, th- mm-hmm. it's impossible for them to build from the ground up. So it's going to take a very yeah, long and exactly. deliberate pivot back to a different way of thinking for electric cars, which are just completely different beasts. Uh, well, you know, I mean, that's part of the reason, and this is totally separate con- concept, well, or t- separate conversation, but that's why especially in, I think it was, I guess, the 80s, uh, Japanese car manufacturers started to be so popular is because American cars were designed essentially to fail at at certain points. And you would just have to, they they had this model where you just buy the next one, buy the next one, buy the next one. And these Honda motors would just keep going and going. And when your Ford broke down after like 90,000 miles, you're you know, your Honda Accord was still kicking with like 350,000 miles on it. It's just interesting to see that taken to a, a significantly further level of like, here's a car that will last longer than you will. Like, yeah. um, you know, <laughs> potentially. Um, but like, it's, it's, it's very interesting. Yeah, it's it's crazy. I mean, I guess there's something to be said for as a business. Uh, there's lots of headroom for you to innovate. Like Ford is now, or you know, I'm, I'm, I'm supposing if their cars were pur- purposely designed to break down after a certain amount of time or need so much maintenance that it's better to just buy a new one. There does leave headroom for them to then market and create cars that do last longer to compete and uh, have have a point of differentiation there. But when the overall complete different uh, mindset is built from the ground up. It, it really frames yeah. and structures companies uh, differently. And I feel like Acorns isn't the only one. There are other apps. I can't even remember which ones are sort of competing with them. But there's a lot of startups that started literally as, as an app on phones and now are essentially becoming your full banking experience. And I, you know, yeah. I just don't have a lot of faith I think in that's... really big established banks. Even something, a company as well run as USAA <laughs> being able to restructure right. their entire sort of chain of thinking in, in this, uh, what I think is the the right direction with acorns. But. Yeah. Um, and then you get, you get other really big problems, you know, with traditional banks where in some cases they're rooted in corruption. For yeah. instance, um, uh. the Chicago, um, bank starts with a W what was it called? Uh, um, not it wasn't Wachovia. Not Wachovia. I don't know. Um, it's a mortgage company. What was it called? Anyway, they were basically creating a bunch of um, fake accounts uh, for extra accounts. For oh people yeah, fees. Sun, no, not SunTrust. Um, it was. Uh, uh, oh gosh, my gosh! What was it? it was a big scam. Yeah, huge scam. It wasn't Wachovia, um, but it was something like it. Oh my god! I have to look it up now. It's, I think I actually had an account with the bank. West. It's the one where they've got like the pioneers on the uh, on the wagons as like their. Because they were a bank yeah. 200 years ago. Oh, my God. We're going to have to, like... <laughs> Wachovia is just stuck in my head. It's not Wachovia. They were yeah. bought out by Wells Fargo. Wells, Wells Fargo. Yeah. There it is. Wells Fargo. So, yeah, companies that are not light on their feet have to create money opportunities in other ways. For instance, yes. stealing. Yeah, over overdraft fees. There was an amazing quote that I saw. They were talking about um, the, the bi- X billions of dollars that banks earned in overdraft fees uh, in a quarter or maybe a year or something. It was billions of dollars. They make a ton of money. And somebody said, so basically, Wells Fargo or whatever bank they were talking about has stolen or has taken, has profited $3 billion off the poorest people 
yeah. the, the, the poorest of their customers. They have profited three plus billion dollars or whatever the number was off it's, of the poorest like of their customers. Evil. <laughs> yeah. Like it really is. I was like, holy crap, you know, that's totally right. That's so it's, messed up. It's and everybody is just accepting of it. Like, why can't you just have an account that doesn't let the purchase go through? That is so yeah. logical. It's, it's so wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's wrong the way that it's set it, up now. I agree. It's funny how it's funny when you start seeing like scam. I don't know. I feel like up until now, I haven't really been able to see scams like on like citywide scams. I guess what I'm trying to say is the other day I was driving around in Baltimore and Baltimore is like notoriously corrupt and weird. And I noticed that there are a lot of traffic cameras around the city, but not that many, not as many as I, I kind of expected. Well, in right kind of near about like a mile from my house is kind of like a, a, t- a rougher area. I noticed that they were starting to install cameras on basically every light over there. I'm not seeing them being constructed anywhere else. I have a very sneaky, strong suspicion that this is just them trying to crack down on the poorest and most vulnerable people. What's going to happen is they're going to get tons of traffic lights or traffic tickets and that money's going to be taken from the poor community straight into the city's budget where it'll probably be wasted. It leaves the poor people even poorer than they were before. So, yeah, I'd be interested interesting to see system. how they make decisions about that. If there is, it could be that they have actual statistics that people do speed more on these roads. Who knows? But I tend to agree with you. It's, it's probably, it's more likely they're putting it up in, in communities they know won't have a strong political voice, you know, not right. a whole lot of political resistance. Yeah, and they can just do it. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, that's why Very you got to uh, vote in your local elections, uh, probably more critically mm-hmm. than you do in state and federal elections. Those are the ones that actually yeah. impact you day to day. I'm looking at it now, $3 a month for acorns and you get the most, that's like their, their premium tier of stuff. And there are no mm-hmm. overdraft or minimum balance fees ever. Uh, unlimited free See, or fee there you go. reimbursed ATMs nationwide. Yeah, so that's that's excellent. Three bucks a month. I Do like you know it. how and much money? FDIC protected, a quarter million dollars. Like they're they're full on bank. Yeah. Anyway, you know how much money I have like lost over the years to like overdraft fees and late fees and all this crap i know yeah it's same here it's like guys it's it's just them taking money it's even, not like, even today it happens because i don't keep a ton of money in my like spending checking account and sometimes depending on how auto draft uh, withdrawals work i'll have two payments hit uh, the car and the house at like the same time without the auto mm-hmm. thing going through and boom um, i have an overdraft usaa is really good about giving you an instant yeah. refund if you request it but it's still like a pain after you even think about like why can't it just reject but it's the way it is I, you know it could also stem I that specific approach. topic of overdrafts could come from the fact that in a previous era it may have actually cost you more money if the person processing right. the charge got rejected they may actually have generally charged more than what an yes. overdraft fee could have been, but I don't know. It, but they definitely yeah, got that, out of hand when they would continue to let charges go through after the first overdraft. I remember in college yeah. having oh, overdraft yeah, fees of like five hundred dollars because two or you know a dozen two dollar charges went through from coffees that I was buying. You know, without yeah. a phone and, and apps and all the real time notifications that we have now, I had no idea that this was occurring until a day or two later when I finally logged in to check my balance. Horrifying right. which, stuff as which, a college, and kid. that process is now illegal. Yes. So yeah, make let that sink in. 
Yeah. Um, anyway, we should probably talk about photography. Well, this, um, this, this uh, kind of translates pretty well. I, I want to plug one more app that I've been loving. It's called Truebill. It's one of sort of the, I guess the word would be aggregator of all of your financial accounts. So proceed with caution in terms of how much trust you have in those kinds of apps. But Truebill for me has created an incredibly easy to see one snapshot of all of my accounts across every bank and institution that I have, PayPal, like all that stuff, where you can literally see on the main homepage, boom, this is how much you spent this month. Boom, this is how much uh, you earned this month. Like, And cash balance overall versus credit card balances overall, net cash. Uh, investments overall, it's just a really great snapshot picture of everything. It's called Truebill, and uh, I, I freaking love it. I've gone through many of these apps over the years, and they always seem to get acquired, and then the buyer of the app yeah. destroys it and stops developing it. So Truebill, I don't know if... I don't know where they're coming from uh, historically, but it surfaced on my radar via some podcast somewhere, and uh, I've just found it really, really helpful in sort of a one-step shot of my my finances. So, yes, okay, let's talk about uh, some camera stuff real fast. But, you know, what we were talking about earlier really does translate to, you know, we have these legacy camera makers, Canon, Nikon, all the DSLR folks. And then you've got a company like Sony who from the ground up, essentially, uh, of course they did have SLRs of their own. Sony did, but not not in any meaningful numbers, but from the ground up, they built this mirrorless empire that everyone. Yeah. Now everybody's chasing. Everyone's chasing them in terms of Mm -hmm. Canon and Nikon at least. And, uh, you know, it's scary to think that they're this late to the game, but I, I'm really glad to see that, at least from Canon's side, they are making a huge push and rapid development of RF lenses. We've talked about that many, many times uh, over the past few episodes, and it's great to see even more rumors and even more confirmed uh, information from Canon themselves that professional lenses are coming out. And what do you think? Do you are you happy with like the concept of a company saying, no, we're going we're to hold off on the pro status body and really focus on development of the lenses first? Or do you wish they had gone pro body and then slow drip the lenses if it was a year or two you know, later then? I, I don't know. It's, it's tough to, to say one or the other. I think the way that Canon's doing it is probably best overall just because you have a good enough body to accommodate the pro lenses that you're making and you're developing those lenses. They're going to be here. Like they're, they're perfect basically other than the price point, which is really high. Um, like <laughs> yeah. they're, they're great lenses. I think that's the best way to go. Um, and that's essentially half the reason why I switched to Canon and I'm assuming you as well. Um, it's because the lenses coming out for their mirrorless cameras were significantly better and not just the lenses coming out, but the lenses announced and down the line. Yeah. And so I, uh, go ahead. The, well, and the, the, the thing is with the body is if you're go, if you're a DSLR company and you're going to mirrorless, there's going to be some hiccups. And if you just throw out a, a pro body right away, it could end up Biting you. Well, that's the thing. Like, How strange would perfectly. it be to have for nobody's going to spend four or five thousand dollars on a body that mm-hmm. only has prosumer lenses, you know, variable aperture zooms right. or one point eight exactly. stuff. Like, why not have the 
two to three thousand dollar L series lenses that then once the pro body is ready, everybody's going to freaking buy that. No questions asked if they've been happy with their lenses. I just sent you, uh, if you open them up high res, I'm curious to see what you think. I'm not a stickler for sharpness. I'm really not, but I mm-hmm. took some pictures this morning of Nessa out in the really dense snow that we've been getting. I sent you two photos just now of the 28 to 70 at F2, both images. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the, the sharpness is, it's pretty unreal. Um, not, not the necessarily the, the focus hit it's, the focus hit is excellent, but I'm just talking about the overall vibe of the yeah. The lens. It's really, like, really nice. Insanely. This sharp. is the 50. No, this is the 28 to 70 zoom. Oh, the 28 to 70 at F2. Yeah. Um, one of those, the, the first lens is a really wide shot of Nessa walking through the snow. That one's at mm-hmm. 28 millimeters, so wide, uh, wider. Focal length, and then gotcha. the second one, the vertical shot, is actually at Gosh, 50, the sharpness 50 millimeters. Just crazy. At F2. It's insane. But, it, like, one of the issues I always had with some of the nicer Sigma art lenses was that they always, that sometimes they looked like too sharp. And it was really off putting for me. Like, I, I was yeah. a, a significant reason. Yes. I, I decided uh, I to agree. use it. But I these, agree. I, that's the same reason, reason I, uh, that's the same reason I never got the 50 art lens I, just, I never liked the character of it with the with the overly sharpness and upon reflection because these are insanely greatly sh- like sharp but in a way that is so fantastically 3d and really like lens serves the picture well in terms of like if you look at on, on a full screen that horizontal picture of nessa walking through the snow like it just like draws you right into her face it's crazy it does. yeah and there's no it's added sharpening really from nice. my end other than like whatever is default applied in uh, hmm. Lightroom. Uh, no like sharpening cool. brushes. You know, some, some photographers actually take a brush tool and brush sharpening into certain areas. That yeah. is insane to me. But anyway, that's a topic. It's fine if, you, if you're getting the look that you need. That's, but yeah, yeah it's, it seems like a lot of work. <laughs> actually, and just tying it back to sharpening uh, again to a conversation I had with a patron recently, they were asking about the order of operations for sharpening. And, and just in case you don't know, it's always resize, then sharpen, and then add grain, if you like to add grain. And one of the issues I have with brushing in, brushing in sharpening is that it might look really good brushed in on a face or some aspect of the photo at full resolution, but it might look like hell on earth when it's viewed on Instagram, for example, which yeah. is a likely yeah. place for clients to post stuff. And if you've over-sharpened... Uh, someone's eyes or something like that, it may look crusty and really off-putting at a really tiny Instagram size or something like that, depending on the sharpening that you're using. So really be careful with that kind of stuff and consider the fact that you don't know you know, it's a sad consequence of being a photographer in the digital age. You don't have control over the size your images are going to be experienced versus back in the film days, if it was an eight by 10, you knew it, right? <laughs> like that, that's, yep. <laughs> that's what people bought. You had complete control over your entire process. You knew what the 8x10 would look like. Boom. It's perfect. Now we just have no idea. I mean, it pains me to see people post excited Instagram stories. Oh my God, we got our full gallery and they're watching it on their Samsung television screen at home. I'm just like, oh, the colors, yeah. the color, uh, the, the color, contrast, they're going to look horrible. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's a really pretty lens, but, and going back to the, your, your question, I just think that having these really, really nice lenses, I mean, honestly, when I, when I saw Nikon announce a 
and then a 35 1.8 i think it was right uh to or so 30 or i don't 35? actually even remember i would assume a 35 i i saw it and i was like oh man I was like, I'm not going to, I don't need that. And I like, was excited by the 50.95, even though it was gigantic looking. I was like, oh, okay. But it's right. manual focus only. Of, yeah. And I mean, that makes sense. It's a knocked, but at the same no, time, it's it doesn't like, make well, sense. They can do autofocus with that new Z mount with the 0.95. I mean, they should be able to. But. Well, that was my thing. I was like, well, I guess they can't do it. Yeah. Otherwise which, they would. Yeah. Which Canon is able uh, not the 50, well, I mean, 1.0, yeah, right? I'm able to use a 50 point or 50 F 1.0 through an adapter. Just fine. Autofocus and everything. Yes. Maybe they should have, maybe then maybe they should have gone 51.0, made it like super crazy, amazing and given it autofocus. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know. What I, the, I, yeah. I can't speak to it, but I do. I am a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it sucks that it's not, that it's not autofocus, but it's also just like, whoa, okay, so this is their only kind of, I mean, I need to look at their, their lens lineup again, but at the time I was like, okay, that's the only professional lens they're offering. I mean, that, that, that's even on a roadmap right now. No, they do they have other a, things on a roadmap. They have I don't a know 70 to 200, I guess. But. Yeah, no, they, they've got a couple of things mapped out for 2020, I believe. But it's, it's interesting. I mean, we can go back and forth all day long, but at the end of the day, I tend to fall oh, in the camp of like, and I didn't even realize, realize oh, this right. about they myself. 24 to 70 F4 right off the bat. So it's like, yeah, okay, well, not what? great. Not pro. But yeah, I didn't even realize it about myself uh, until looking back at how these two companies have taken different approaches that actually I do prefer more pro lenses, less pro body if I had to make a choice. Now, what right. I, yeah, I mean, I'm obviously itching, itching for the pro yeah. body, and it was rumored to be coming out in the spring, but what are we left with? An actually cheaper, even more consumer Canon RP body. Yeah. So it's a new mirrorless. It is a completely different body. It's smaller, generally it's the same small. layout, but they got rid of the, I'm really sad to say, innovative but completely useless touch bar yeah i don't actually know what it, the technical term was for i think it's a touch it's not touch, touch bar. bar it's something i think it's called like m bar whatever oh, bar. It, it is basically unusable i use it for white balance switching occasionally but uh the rp got rid of it completely yeah, i use it for iso yeah and uh they threw in a full frame uh, essentially the same sensor from the five sixty. Mark two sixty sixty Mark two mm-hmm. brand new camera thirteen hundred bucks for full frame uh, still has the same screen that flips out so you can selfie uh, video or what have you and an overall smaller footprint so might make a fantastic travel camera but it's so small that they include for free an extension grip yeah uh, which is kind of cool different and colors, they also but. include an adapter for free yeah. I know. So they're they're really selling like a thousand dollar camera here, which is yeah. It is a an aggressive freaking price point, and I I I'm interested. I mean, I don't know. I I just found it bizarre that they would do that. But then again, they they're really known for in a lot of ways. Canon's known, especially in the prosumer realm, for their Rebel series, and this kind of seems like Rebel version yeah. of their mirror, new mirrorless lineup and. I gotta say, it's kind of hitting on pretty much every point. Squarely, squarely at 
YouTubers, people that want to make YouTube videos that don't have uh, clients that have hired them and have an expectation of, you know, absolutely need backups of, you know, everything that you make for your client, blah, blah, blah. I think this is aimed exactly at the Casey Neistats of the world, people that just vlog or make simple YouTube videos. Right. Uh, if you look at the recommended accessories, I mean, I don't know, this is probably put together by B&H, not Canon, but it's all uh, Atmos Ninja 7-inch HDMI monitoring screens and, and uh, little like YouTuber mounts so that you can selfie on a stick holding the camera up. It's I think definitely meant for, for more of that market, which is funny because it still comes up short in a lot of the video uh, aspects, right. namely it's, the 4K, still, but... It's the 4K, right? Same, same issue. 4K is really bad, yeah. And there's no in, in-body stabilization. It's digital stabilization mm-hmm. only, but it's stuff that I couldn't care less about. And somebody was trying to get into a debate with me on Instagram about, like, well, you know, Canon's really dropping the ball. They have to offer at least what Sony's offering for the same price. Like, how come? How can they get away with this? And I'm like, what are you talking about? This is not I the mean, same price. This is like half price of a lot it's of half the Sony, price Sony cameras. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, it's it's almost like a. I mean, it's just so aggressive. Like the price point. Yeah, thirteen hundred dollars. Well, like, I, yeah. I mean, you're going to see moves like that when you're this late to the. They should have been in mirrorless. Four years ago, yeah, you know. So now they're just playing catch up. I wouldn't be surprised if that's if that's actually being sold at a very low to no margin, <laughs> like right. Uh, and again, I can't I can't stress enough that like they're going to be like the the EOS R has kinks in it that are you know it has it has some issues here and there. It's got some bugs and things like that. The button layout's not perfect. It's it's nice, but. Um, and there are things that they were trying out with this camera. I think that it's smart to do, you know, as good a job as they can on a almost pro camera body. Then take that knowledge combined with solid lenses and then eventually and, you know, maybe throw in a Canon RP type thing, you know, something smaller. Um, for, yeah, they've already done like the hard leg work of the software and the R&D development. Just shrink it down yeah. a little bit more, get rid of a few features, boom. Uh, right. And then yeah. now what they've got is like, okay, we've sh- we've shrunk this down. We've taken out features. Now what features do we really need to like focus down on? What new features do we need to introduce? What, um, you know, what, what does this have to have in order to be a pro camera? And I guarantee you non-cropped 4K is going to be right in there. Um, yep. For um, in camera, you know, something that they're stabilization learning is going to be in the there. Way. But it's funny is the and, and better eye tracking. It's all stuff yep. that actually I couldn't care less about. I don't know why people get so hung up on, for example, eye autofocus tracking. Because I don't know about you, but even the top of the line Sony camera that has eye focus, uh, focus tracking. The the camera will lock on if you have more than one person in the shot. It's going to choose on its own probably the person right. the closest to you or the clearest person in the frame and that may not be the person's eye that you want in focus and so then they do give the option of hitting like the left button on the joystick or the right button to move which eye is in focus but mm-hmm. that's still i never want to have to touch my joystick while i'm shooting i want a consistent focus point that's always in the same spot in yes. my case, the upper third of the focus area, and it just resets to there every single time. So I can just start, move, and recompose every single time. So that way I don't have to think about 
or try and anticipate which eye the, the camera is going to focus on. If you're just doing portraits of just one person in the shot, then I could see why it is a lot sure. more valuable. But I just but then again, I mean, right. You, you should, you shouldn't have any problems either way. If you're just focusing on one subject. Yeah. The eye focus is, is sort of, I think it is magical to see. And it's great that, autofocus in general the motors and everything can keep up and, and do really fast action these days but the actual eye focus is a, i think a little bit of a marketing gimmick in that i don't yeah. use it and i never used it even with my sony mirrorless cameras that i had i mean I, I used it as much as i could to see if it was adding something but it was it was actually adding a layer of unpredictability which is mm-hmm. always something i'm really cautious about because yes that can result in maybe compositions or focus or something in your decision making that creates a photo you wouldn't have otherwise made <laughs> uh, i see this right. happening a lot when i use bounce flash with like overhead group shots i do have face detection on for that and sometimes it'll focus on a person that i wasn't even paying attention to and it's way better but i, sure. I actually don't <laughs> love that as a consistent thing every single yeah you don't want that, that unpredictability no <laughs> not at all uh so um, anyway now, talking a little bit about the RP, uh, we do have some sample images that we went through. Yeah, we have um, some raw and, DNG files from, and from um, they're they're nice. They're they're actually really nice. I think. Yeah, uh, looking at them in Lightroom, they're fine. Yeah, th- even the high ISO stuff is is fine. Let's see what's now, the highest ISO we've got? Twenty five thousand six hundred. Six hundred. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we. Now the color, I mean, they're not they're not as good as it's the art. Weird. So yeah, colors. the high ISO color yeah. is very desaturated and almost green and yellow, versus yeah, the R at the same one is is very orangey yellow. Like it's really deep saturation in the reds and the yellows. Like, mm-hmm. and I I think that it's not adding that. It's just retained versus the high ISO of the RP is is lost. Do you agree with that? Right. Yes, and mm-hmm. it's weird because supposedly it's the exact same sensor as the the sixty, but the files do look a touch different. They do look well. It's a different. I think it's a different process. Digic six or eight or something. I don't know if that necessarily changes it too much, but um, clearly, yeah, the the R the R files are, are better than the RP for sure. Um, but but again, we. I don't know. I mean, I don't know how fun you're, how often you want to be shooting 25,600 ISO with this kind of camera. Yeah, um, I agree. They need, Sony is so, killing it right now at high ISO um, clarity, no noise. Like the, the sky's the limit as far as that technology can go. I think we've definitely reached the megapixel point of dynamic yeah. range. These files from the 60 and of course even the, the or, or sorry the rp and of course the r there's more than enough dynamic dynamic range to never have any blown highlights and still have complete yeah. detail in the shadows like it's fine yeah as long you're as good you're two or sh- three sometimes even three and a half stops looks like on the like yeah on some of the lower iso stuff just like megapixels it's nice to have more you can shoot a little more lazy you have more flexibility afterward but it's it's not necessary if you're practiced and diligent about your exposure but the high iso is is pretty it's clean enough but it is disappointing that they're not pushing it even further uh i think that'll be a couple more years down the line whenever right. Sony develops actual new sensors because all of these are sort of rehashed from their DSLR cameras. 
seems right. like there's no new sensor specifically. Maybe that'll be a differentiator in whatever pro model they put out. Maybe they'll, hopefully, they'll have developed a brand new sensor by then that's unique to just their mirrorless line. But, yeah. yeah. I mean, these files look pretty right. pretty great, especially you know being able to shoot and get away with 12,600, or sorry, 25,600 with a $1,300 camera body. I mean, that's not bad. No. Like, that's awesome. I mean, I, I, I remember back in the day when I was shooting <laughs> D700, couldn't push it past that uh, 1600 there without much problem. Um, oh yeah, I remember the. Uh, gosh, we don't. Maybe I'm not. I'm not even gonna start. <laughs> never mind. Yeah. Never you mind. You didn't hear all that. D700 is a great camera, though. I will. I'm, I'm just gonna keep it. D700 somewhere. is a great camera. You still have yours? Actually, I I have one. I, yeah, I do. The flash mount's busted, but it still works. Oh, bummer. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's just the flash. It's not the end of the world. No. Well, uh, anyway, I um I did yeah. pre-order. I'm not planning to keep it. I don't know why I would because I already have two R's. I, I would imagine R. if you've been on the fence and don't have the budget or the mindset to buy two EOS R's, this would be a great second body. But I think there's enough difference in the sensors you're going to have that yeah. nagging decision to have to make every time you lift one body versus the other like do i want the slightly different better sensor or the one that's good enough but already has the lens i need on it like i hate i hate yeah that. no that's that's the worst when it's just so slightly different and you're like Arr! but it is but it's really cool that they're releasing this camera i it came out of nowhere i did not even know it was coming i was focused on this like rumored 100 megapixel you know canon R R Pro, series whatever. camera which yeah. yeah, but it's not. I, I, if that's even coming, I doubt. Which I doubt. Um, then it'll it won't be for a while. And the the latest, I guess, rumor about the actual pro body is that they're not talking about it yet. And so I, I wouldn't expect it for late 2019, possibly. Uh, but maybe around this time next year, we'll probably get a pro body. Yeah, according to uh, the rumors, I, I, and maybe I mean we can check real fast on Canon rumors, but I, maybe an outside chance of something before the holidays that would make a lot of sense. It would make a lot of sense, but I I don't I don't know if it'll be ready by then. Yeah, I don't know either. It's it's a complete guessing but game dude, from what I, we've got. I am but, really excited though for it. I mean, because the RP the R has has just introduced so many possibilities and I just love, love the feel of shooting with it. And I, I'm the prospect of a pro version of, of their mirrorless cameras actually kind of really excites me. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's all but inevitable. Like there's no way they're yeah. not releasing a pro version. It's just a matter of when. And yeah, I'm actually more curious to see if they ever release any other DSLR EF mount lenses I or agree. cameras. That, that, as far as i know there's no plans which to be perfectly honest with you is that's great and so i wonder if thinking back to the just the nikon world will i mean yeah are we not gonna see a a d6 or a d950 i I remember we were we were both predicting that we would at some point that's the only thing that makes sense any rumors at all the business model that they've put out with but I haven't heard any rumors about any kind of pro level Nikon body at all. I've heard a lot of I mean if the Canon pro yeah. bodies, mirrorless bodies, but not if bodies. Nikon wanted to blow it out of the park with like some really crazy D six DSLR that had like all kinds of really interesting features, like I'd 
you know, sound, that'd be interesting, but at the same time, I, yeah, I, I think I, they'd be, stu- it's just like, I, why would any camera maker, you know, make any dedicated film cameras now? Like, I, I mean, they could, and I think it would be awesome if we, if, you know, they did, but there's not much of a point to it unless there was a real market for it. I don't know. Does Canon still make film cameras? Oh yeah. Do they, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I actually can't say for sure. Don't know. Somebody, I don't know. Write us in and tell us. So, someone, uh, someone let us know in the comments. Nikon has, has uh, released details of their 24 to 70 F 2.8, which is a yep. pro level zoom. Looks cool. Yeah, it does look pretty now, nice. Now, according to the roadmap for Nikon, their 24 to 70 2 8 was also slated for 2019, 70 to 200, 2019. Mm-hmm. But they don't have a 50 millimeter pro camera, pro lens until 2020. Yeah, it's bad. Like, I'm, and they were, I guess they're just expecting their 51.8 to like be pretty enough to coast them through for two years, but I don't think so at all. Uh, so, the other thing know. I'm curious about is or how quickly we start to see sigma and tamron variations of rf mount lenses yep. that'll be fascinating Although, i believe i i heard that they're in the works already yeah so. i would hope i would imagine that's probably they, they can't come fast enough but if they start to release things sooner then here's yeah i mean actually thinking about from a business perspective it is is so much more wise for canon to, to lean into rf mount lenses pro and otherwise because it's going to take years probably at least a year and a half before the third party options are available so right nikon not having this arsenal of six or seven pro lenses launched in the first year are basically going to be rolling them out when when sigma and everyone else does and so they're really going to get eaten up potentially maybe unless they have some kind of non-compete like thing I don't. Um, do they need permission to to emulate the? I, I know there there's probably some I'm not sure some law in there somewhere, and they were able to copyright the use or, or restrict the use of their uh, their mount technology in some way. But if they can maybe just they backwards just like, engineer it themselves, yeah. I don't see how they could ever. I don't see how can, uh, unless they made like a back channel deal say, or like, something. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if Sigma is paid. That's for a good point, though. We have to look that up. I mean, yeah, these pro Canon lenses coming out, I mean, they're already like proving themselves to be really, really pretty. Um, and Sigma and everybody else, they're playing catch up. Whereas it's possible that some of Nikon's, yeah, some of Nikon's um, lens stuff might get poached out from right underneath them right as soon as they launch. I don't know. It's just, it seems like the backwards way to do it. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's probably uh, a good. Yeah. Stopping point. It seems like all of our podcasts go back to the, the mirrorless world, but at least we had some interesting financial <laughs> perspectives from people. Um, yes. Listen, guys, budget. Okay. Budget. I'm actually working on our listening about out my, my retirement plan as a professional photographer. I'm excited about it, but it's work in progress. Nice. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, cool. What do you got going on in your, uh, your world, Nathan? Should we plug the prism mm. show that nobody listening will be able to come to? Uh, yeah, we should. Uh, it's snowing right now in Baltimore and Sam, you're probably really snowed in. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. They don't I'm, do uh, I'm our roads fine. very quickly. It takes, takes quite a while for them to get around to. Yeah. So this uh, week's all that website stuff. I don't have any shoots this week and, uh, really I'm just prepping for our show on Monday. Yeah. Monday, the 26th, 
25th. 25th. Uh, we're oh, playing in... Yep. Sorry. Monday, uh, we're playing in D.C. D.C. 9. D.C. 9. Really cool venue in D.C. Uh, good garlic fries there, actually. Oh, I forgot about that. Ooh, mm, some garlic delicious. fries. Uh, yeah, so we we haven't played... <laughs> I think we played for like four years, but oh, we've been practicing every week for the last couple of months and uh, or month and a half, and sounded pretty good, I think, dude. Yeah. I'm excited. Exciting. Uh, well, I will catch you later. See you practice in a few days and enjoy the cool. snow. Later. Whoop. Whoop. Hey, everyone. I am just amending the tail end of this podcast to point out that Canon is, in fact, still actively developing DSLRs and EF lenses. Um, eventually, I imagine Nathan and I will be correct, and they will probably halt doing that completely, but they still have a lot of headroom and a lot of development that needs to be closed up, uh, buttoned up before they transition completely over to mirrorless. So in case anybody was uh, more knowledgeable than us and screaming at their speakers, just wanted to make sure you knew we were aware they are still actively making EF and DSLR bodies. So thanks. Bye.